This is 365 Tech by Suites. Today, we are talking about globalization, neoliberalization, and The World is Flat, a book that came out a few years back now, over a decade ago, but with rules that can still be applied today. The reason I'm talking about this is I'm taking a class right now at The Ohio State University called Geography 5802, Globalization and the Environment. This class is talking about the changes that have happened in our world, um, looking at how people are able to interact in new ways and what that means for us as a society. So I'm going to go into talking about a memo that I wrote for this class as well as some of the outlooks that we've taken from someone named Noam Kromsky as well as Thomas Friedman who wrote uh, The World is Flat back in 2005. Thomas Friedman is a journalist, author, three-time winner of the Pulitzer Prize, and currently he is a writer for the New York Times. On a weekly basis, he writes on foreign affairs, global trade, the Middle East, globalization, and the environment. In 2005, he released a book called The World is Flat, talking about his realization that while America was sleeping, the world became flat, we lost our perch up at the top of the socioeconomic scale, and everybody now has the opportunities that were once only available to countries. So how he breaks this down is that there were three great eras of globalization. The first great era was Globalization 1.0, which occurred from 19, or 1492 to 1800, so about 400 years there. That was when the world went from large to medium and countries were able to globalize. So you globalize through your country, China globalized, if, if, if China began trading to other countries, then your country was able to buy and sell goods between those countries. If your country did not and your country was not a globalized country, then you were restricted to items that you could have there in your own country. Second event was globalization 2.0. This was from the 1800s to 2000, so ended 18 years ago. And this was when the world went from medium to small. It allowed companies to globalize. So rather than needing a country to buy, to, to go between borders, companies are now able to interact on a global scale. And the third one, Globalization 3.0, this started in 2000 and is continuing to the present. It takes the world from small to tiny. Individuals in small groups are now able to globalize. And this is, I think, a notion that a lot of people still haven't understood. This book was released in 2005. I watched a video on it where Thomas Friedman was talking to a group of Yale students and alumni in 2007 where he talks about he doesn't know where it's going. Well, we can see where it's headed now. So I'm looking at this in a reflection standpoint, seeing how Friedman looked at it and seeing, seeing what Friedman saw and now understanding, okay, this is what happened. This were, these were the predictions and this is how things actually settled. This is how the events played out. Now, he supports this argument of the three types of globalizations with 10 events that have happened since 1989 that have made the world, that have been, he calls them the big flatteners. So the first event was the Berlin Wall fall, falling. So he calls it walls down, windows up. The Berlin Wall fell, which created a physical global flattening. People no longer thought of the world in north, south, east, and west. People were able to connect in whole new ways just from that physical lowering of a boundary. Windows went up. So just a couple months after the Berlin Wall fell, the operating system Windows was created, which enabled people to interact with technology in a whole new way, reducing the technical requirement significantly in order to enter into the field. Next event is August 9th of 1995, and this is when Netscape went public. It gave us the internet and also open transmission protocols and also started the dot-com boom. This drove down the cost of transmitting data and it connects people to people. This one is really important because the dot-com boom enabled the dot-com bubble, which 
led to the overinvestment of the, the technical infrastructure, the technological infrastructure. This allowed companies like India, China, smaller companies that supplied all of our technical infrastructure to rise to prominence and gave them a lot of money being pumped into their economies as well as the ability to connect. And it also made the internet a commodity. Very easy to transmit, store, send and receive data now. And this is one of the key elements of the flattening of the earth. Workflow is flattener number three. So this is tools like Microsoft Word, GoToMeeting, different pieces of software that allow for workflows to be uh, processed easier rather than having these old systems of pen and paper. Number four is outsourcing, the ability to uh, export your work to other locations. The next is offshoring. I'm not entirely clear on the difference between all outsourcing and offshoring except for the fact that you move all of you rather than removing individual workers you move a set of operations uh, out of the country to a different area next is open sourcing this is one of my favorites open sourcing has allowed people to collaborate hackers weirdos inventors around the world for free and then provide the software to the world this was this was unthinkable before the, the advent of technology where we're able to send and receive information. I can be sitting in my bathroom in America and someone in Switzerland could be working on the same project at me, not even in the same time zone, and we could be working together. Open source allowed for the creation of systems such as Linux, which powers, uh, it's, it's probably under the machine that you're looking at right now. Um, it's definitely on most servers. You gotta think of Apache. A lot of the things that are running on your services today started as open source or is uh, has open source software beneath it. After open sourcing is number seven, supply chain. Supply chain is this recent trend that we've seen. I haven't seen this firsthand, but the ability to link together and automate all end-to-end -end solutions of getting a product from a customer to the client. So when someone in Kansas buys a buys a roll of toilet paper off the shelf. Instantly, there's a notification sent to Walmart's warehouses to let them know to produce another roll of toilet paper. So that way, end, end to end, everything has a digital twin to it. And the supply chain, the optimization of getting products end to end, all of the accountability through there is optimized. And that allows for less intermediaries and less middleman to need to touch things for things to be uh, for, for, for movement to happen. This makes it so that me as a single person, I can wear multiple different hats, not necessarily need to spend that much more time to add on an additional hat to do more things. Next is insourcing. Insourcing, a trend that I don't necessarily feel too strong on, so I'm not gonna talk about. Informing, this is where we had Google, Bing, and other searches come into place where we, can, we have limitless information at our fingertips. The ability to search and find and learn is becoming very quick and easy and that is flattening the world. Last one, the steroids is what he calls it, the last flattener, and this is wireless and voice over the internet. These two things have just made it incredibly easy for any person to globalize themselves, to interact with people on a world scale and to create and scale their own business without without needing to interact with any other companies. You can do this as an individual now. This is his claim. So let me talk a little bit about what neoliberalization is, or neoliberalism. This is a laissez-faire economic policy where uh, every the market is determined not by government standards, but by just the interaction of single individuals. Think of this for gas prices. And right now, we've got regulations on gas prices. Government can set prices or t uh, limits 
on prices so that the market can't fluctuate too much. Same with environmental impacts. Uh, you have different taxes and regulations in place to control economic activity for um, environmental impacts and, and other things. Let's talk about Kromsky now, Neom Kromsky and his opposing view on all of the negatives that neoliberalism and globalization have had. Neom Kromsky is a linguist, philosopher, cognitive scientist. He's actually one of the founders of the cognitive sciences field. He's authored over a hundred books in linguistics, war, and mass media, as well as politics. And he is the Institute Professor Emeritus at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, otherwise known as MIT. And he is a laureate professor at the University of Arizona. So he is very highly regarded in academia. His opinion on neoliberalism is the opposite of of uh, Friedman's. He has a very pessimistic view on it, and let's get into that. He thinks that human intelligence has dedicated itself to weakening the main barrier against against threats now. So since World War II, we've had two major powers come into play. One is the atomic power. The atomic power uh, started the atomic clock, which started down the countdown to midnight, which is our doomsday. He talks about how um, as we get closer and closer to today, and since Trump's election, in, in Trump's election, we're now at two minutes to midnight, very, very close to doomsday because of the amount of power that's presented in these atomic bombs. The second point is the Anthropocene, which is in, an epoch or a period in time in which humans have had a severe, disastrous impact on the environment. Both of these things have happened since World War II, and uh, Kromsky argues that they are reasons that, that we need to make sure that neoliberalism doesn't continue to doesn't continue to grow. His argument is that neoliberalism is humans' attempt to undermine and weaken any of the remaining barriers that prevents us from our own doomsday. His claim, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about his claim in that he he, do, he doesn't so much favor the, 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 the weakening of these bonds and the, the opening of regulation because he thinks that once that happens, what, what, what's stopping us from using these atomic bombs to, to blow each other up? And what's stopping us from hurting the environment once we remove these regulations? Once people, are all, once people have the same power that at one time only con countries had, and now I'm sure he's not very comfortable with companies having that power. And then to move that power from companies into the hands of citizens gives each individual the power to launch a nuclear rocket if they so choose or to destroy or build an environment. I can see where his fear comes from. And it stems from this, this fear that, that individuals, the fear of the individual. He prefers a collective and that there is power behind the collective. And I can see that. I. I myself am very opinionated towards the, the, the thought of open source and the thought of putting power into the individual. I think once you give individuals the power and freedom to do what they want, they go out and do that and their effect on others is very, very small. Technology and the algorithms that we've created have made it so that humans, so that the, the best interests of humanity are put ahead of everything else. It makes it very difficult to change things on a large scale, at least from the point of an individual, from a negative perspective that's going to change the current rock and flow of our own boat. Kromsky or Friedman? Which side do you align with? I align with Friedman, but I would love to hear a couple more Kromsky uh, supporters. That way we can have a more balanced argument. Let me know what you think of this entire transition, whether it's from the, 
the earth is flat. I'm not necessarily sure that the earth is still flat. This was 10 years ago, 13 years ago now that the, the world is flat was released. And since then we've seen major pushes and progressions in artificial intelligence, virtual reality, internet of things. Is the world still flat or was it just flat for a period of time and, and now it's not anymore? If you have any thoughts, please call in. Please call in. Otherwise, I will catch you tomorrow.